Let's say you're a veterinary professional who witnesses a pet parent doing something they shouldn't or maybe about to purchase a product that could be harmful. Do you speak up? If so, how far is too far? This week we discuss that and a whole lot more on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And folks, this week, we've got a doozy. But before we get into that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And you know, we are, we're having a conversation uh, today about what What's too far? What's going too far? And, um, you know, I think there are opportunities we have to educate our clients, to educate our neighbors, to educate some stranger we pass on the street. <laughs> but should we? Um, and when shouldn't we? And how far should we go when we see someone doing something that isn't maybe the most pet friendly thing they could be doing, um, but they're doing it anyway? But before we get into that, speaking of going too far, um, it was two weeks ago now, we had a conversation about lip service in the veterinary technician industry. And we, we, I specifically got real passionate in a lot of the different areas. And we heard back from the Colorado Veterinary Technician Association. Um, actually, they're the Colorado Association of Certified Veterinary Technicians. I want to make sure I get that right. The CACVT. And they actually wanted to make a clarification that the credentialing process, the, the movement of regula regulation in Colorado was initiated by their association with the input of many members. Um, and it's an effort to regulate their, their profession based based on their, their process and the sunrise review that's happening in their regulatory agencies right now. So um, they are trying to incorporate and educate and, and do what they feel is best. And they've had an opportunity to talk with their members. So there are a lot of folks in agreements with that. And we want to give them that grace. And I truly did not do my, let's say, journalistic duties, nor have I ever actually said that I do. It's a whole lot of my opinion up in here. But, um, you know, I should have reached out to them to get better information. And I'm sorry I didn't because it is such an important topic. And I don't want to light fires in the wrong places. So right. if you have questions about it, please reach out to them and not me. I am not the expert. I am full of a lot of opinions. Um, but I'm really glad that they did reach out. And you guys, I appreciate your connecting and and um, the ability to have a, an important, a good conversation around that. So thank you guys. But this week, we're talking about going too far. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all we ever do. Yes. We stick our yeah. noses in a little too far sometimes. But no, it's you have to. The, the whole point here, Becky, not, with all you know, joking aside, is the fact that you do have to sometimes put yourself out there. And sometimes you might represent even a minority opinion, maybe what, which was the case maybe in this Colorado situation. But regardless, you know, you want to go ahead and, and insert yourself whenever it's appropriate. And I guess that's really the crux of the problem, right? When is it appropriate and when is it not? Right, right. You, do you remember the TV show, What Would You Do? Yeah. Where they would set folks up for these really kind of intense um, situations to see at what point of escalation do people be get, get involved? And um, I can think we can all isolate situations in our lives where people put themselves in front of us for a particular reason of their own expertise and saying, hey, I see you there. 
And um, what you're doing is or is not correct. And I think we see a lot of that on the internet. Um, And then we see a lot of armchair experts. But in our space, we see, I think a lot of things we're becoming more and more averse to. And things like adverse training methods, maybe specifically, or um, maybe, you know, a product that, you know, really isn't the best choice for a pet. And at what point inside or outside of the clinic, are you within your space to kind of get in someone else's space and educate them? You know, and Becky, this really reminds me of several conversations we've had back uh, when we were talking about airlines regulating service animals. And guys, if you haven't listened to some of those episodes, definitely go back because we cover a lot more than just the strict regulation. And one of them that sticks in, in my mind with regards to this topic today, someone on a plane, and look, you are a service animal certified person. I mean, this is kind of part of your life doing some very negative reinforcements, using some punishment techniques to correct a dog's behavior. That kind of has a lot to do with today's conversation. So it was actually Dr. Cindy, and she was upset about the fact that the dog didn't appear to be acting or doing anything wrong. And the handler was giving corrections and she couldn't understand what they were. And I clarified that the dog could potentially have been not indicating in in a way that it should have been or it may have not been doing something that it's trained to do that you just don't really actually know about. So there should have maybe, there could have been some kind of mitigation that should have been happening um, during that time. And so it was upsetting to see, but that's, I guess, kind of the point is as a veterinarian, she was almost thinking like, should I intervene and say like, Hey, you're being kind of mean to your dog for no good reason. And then the backstory would have been yikes. She probably shouldn't have, right. That wasn't her space, but from the surface, it looked like it should have been. And I experienced this a lot. Like, for example, I was in the grocery store the other day and this guy was looking at one of those big, giant, like beefy meat bones that look amazing for your dogs, you know? And I was like, I was like, it's a farm body. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, oh man, oh man. And I'm like, you know, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm like, sir, I don't know if you know this, but those are actually really bad for your dog's (laughs) teeth and their gastrointestinal system. And do what you want to do. I'm not trying to be a spoiler, but actually that's really dangerous for your dog. And I am a professional and that's all I have to say goodbye. Oh, wow. I I couldn't help, but I could, I did not want to see him give them that money, that, that $20 or whatever the heck they're asking for, for that 14 cent quality bone that was going to cost this guy $1,200 in the future, potentially. Um, did I do the wrong thing? Did I cross the line? Do I have a right? Like this is the whole point of the conversation today (laughs) and you know, muddled as it is, where do we in the clinic and outside the clinic find our space to make comments? (laughs) Right. And at what point do you feel comfortable tossing that hand grenade behind you as you walk (laughs) out of the pet store, you know, because, because it it is a, it's a good one. So first of all, you know, there are professional responsibilities that we want to sort of table for today's conversation. And those are going to be like overt signs of abuse. You know, these are people that are causing really obvious harm to their pet. We're not, we're not really getting into that type of of discussion today. We're going to talk about the more subtleties. Like what about the person who has this choke collar on this little Shih Tzu, right? I mean, is that appropriate? Should you step in? And then the other part of today's conversation, Becky, that I want to limit it to is 
the context and confines of the clinic even, right? Because Becky just illustrated something really important. What happens when you see this outside the four walls of your practice? What if it's at the dog park? What if it's at the, the pet store? What if it's at the groomer? Who knows? At the airport? Like, that's a different context. So I think that, Becky, as we talk about this, we need to say, this is when you observe it in your clinic I think there's a different threshold as opposed to when you actually see it outside in the real world. Did I make any sense there at all, Becky? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the part where we feel the safest to speak up and kind of entitled to speak up, right? And sort of saying like, hey, you know, I don't think this is the best idea or, you know, oh, you know, you maybe even have an opportunity presented to you to... right to get in front of it because they ask you, right? Maybe they say like, oh, hey, uh, my husband bought one of these big bones. What do you think about those? And then now I have an invitation to tell them, <laughs> I'm like in the freezer department of the Lowe's food right. where I took the invitation, I have it there. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's the question. And uh, as much as I think I like to believe I have all the answers, it's an <laughs> awkward thing because we take an oath. We have a, like, I would not want to have a baby and be shopping around a toy department and be about to buy a lead toy. <laughs> and someone who had the knowledge that that thing was not safe would not share that with me. So I feel grateful. But at the same time, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a really important distinction, though, because one of those has severe consequences. It's obvious harm. It's a lead-based toy. You would want somebody to speak up. I think your your meaty bone example is actually really salient today's conversation because that is not quite to the level of you know of, of a lead based toy for a child, right? So Becky, that's that's where getting back to your show example of you know how far would you go or whatever that show was, you know that's really that's so a meat based toy versus a fish hook, you know? I mean, like yeah. where's that threshold at least in your mind? I don't know. You tell me <laughs> when we talk about people who lose their dogs to GI perforation. It's a good point. Like, yeah. I've got I've got ashes on my counter from a dog that perforated from a bed that he tore apart and ate the stuffing. And because he's a pit bull, he didn't tell me he perforated in right. four places and I couldn't get him through it. So I feel it's equal. You know, the thing yeah. is, is it's not as important until it is. So and again, that's the thing is like, well, great. Then how what about when your dog has a slab fracture out to their tooth and it's incredibly painful? Now it does feel as important because you are going to spend as much money or effort or time or pain involved. So and, and again, it's like, where is that line? And more importantly, where are we to decide it? Like what's the questionnaire we we give our clients or the poor guy in the freezer department that says, are you open to this information that I have? To be fair, this guy was real gen generous. He was like, thank you. I wouldn't want to buy something dangerous for my dog. And he was quite surprised actually that there are products out there that look so amazing that are not quite as safe as they maybe appear to be. Um, so then do we have to intervene? Cause as you and I have talked about, we know the regulations not there. Right. So I will say viewfinders that I agree 100% with Becky, and I've been in those same situations many times, like most of you listening today. And here's what I've found, Becky, works best for me, and I'd love to get the viewfinder family's uh, response to this, is I, when I see that situation unfolding before me, 
the first thing I do is I ask permission to intervene, just like we do when it comes to talking about obesity in the pet clinic, right? Like, so like if I see that person kind of salivating over that meaty bone, I might say, hey, you know, listen, I'm a veterinarian. If, if you'd like any, any help or advice on selecting some of these treats or whatever, I'd, I'd be happy to, to offer them. And what That's I find nice. then is that if they give me permission, then I'm not giving unsolicited advice, which is probably going to get me dismissed pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it sort of then invites it in. So you say, hey, here's my credentials, you know, and would you like some help with this? And I find that most people then say, absolutely, you know, and, and I also find them to be more receptive to my advice. Have you, have you tried a similar tactic? Becky? Sure. <laughs> I always ask if someone, I'm married, I just give advice. No, yeah, I absolutely do. Actually, in the clinic and in my lectures, I do teach people like, are you open to having that conversation? It's just like, hey, and the reason is, especially in the clinic, is we're not always dealing with the decision maker. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic, like marriage type way of like, right. Oh yeah, no, my wife makes the decisions. I mean it in terms of like, yeah, like this is my mother-in-law's dog and I just drove it here. Right, okay. Right. Or I'm the pet sitter or whatever. So the conversation and also, there are days that I'm open to listening and learning, and there's days that you are lucky I was able to get here on time. <laughs> I have a tight schedule, and I really don't have the mental capacity to think about anything else, but could you please email me something or whatever the heck, right? Right, right. So I think those are things we have to be prepared for and understand are fair. So then we do want to say, are you open to this? Because maybe they're not, and and you're right, we're, we're less likely to be... Um, received, (laughs) but then what about when they're really, okay. So the guy who was like the guy, obviously, and like your situation, they are obviously confused in a moment, right? Like they're standing there scratching their head, looking at 47 different types of canned food per row. Right. That's one thing. But then what about like the choke collars, the e collars, the, um, you know, thing when you, Oh, when I watch my neighbor get yanked down the road because of the, the, what she, she's using a prong collar on a 18 month old, 200 pound Labrador puppy who has no concept of that being a prong collar anymore and it having any corrective use at all. And she says, Oh, I can't control him without it, but she can't control him with it. So at what point then are we intervening and with the right to do so? And how do we get them on board if they're like, listen, I can't walk this dog without this prone collar? How do you get them on board to understanding there could be a different, better way? Right. Well, I can tell you from personal experience that unsolicited advice hasn't worked for me. So a yeah. true story, a couple of years ago, as many of the viewfinders know, I'm an avid runner and outdoor enthusiast. And I was running and, you know, how you can see people up ahead of you. And I could see that this person was struggling with kind of a medium-sized dog. This was not a large dog. This was maybe like a 30-pound, 40-pound dog, just kind of a mixed breed looking thing, right? And the dog's kind of jerking and I can just see him going back and forth, you know, uh, and on the trail in front of me. And as I come up closer, I can see it's one of those prong collars, right? And so this guy yeah. is just like jerking back on him, you know, giving all kind of just nasty corrections. No, stop bad. You know, you guys have been there. You probably know what I'm, I'm saying. And so I can't 
help myself. I have to stop, you know? And so yeah. I say, hey, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm a veterinarian and you can really injure your dog like that. And the guy uh, immediately told me to go F myself. Uh, the, oh. A lot of other stuff were hurled at me, but I took off because I was like, okay, this is not going to go my way. So, you know, again, viewfinders, you know, that was a situation where I was trying to help. I'm in the middle of a run. This person doesn't want my help. I stop and declare my authority. And this person's like, go F your authority, man. Get out of here. And, uh, you know, so, so Becky, I guess if you're ever going to put yourself in that situation, insert yourself into what you think is a, a situation where you're trying to help, uh, you better be prepared to, to take the hits too. But then what, you know, what about in a situation when it's in the clinic and you're like, okay, you are here for my mm -hmm. expertise. You know, I've had, I've had moments where I'm coaching cl clinics and working with clients or working with staff who work with clients who say they come to me and then every solution I give them, they say, well, that won't work because right. this, and right. this won't work because this, and that won't work because the other. And then you're actually watching an animal sort of suffer. You know, in the case of my neighbor, she just lets this dog go. Okay. So if he sees me in my driveway, he gets really excited and he pulls to the point. She just lets him go. She lets him go. Cause she knows he's going to run straight directly for me. Right. Right. But what if any one of my dogs is out there with me? They're not right. super dog friendly. I don't need that. What if, you know, he's not certainly learning. He's learning if she, if I pull really hard, I get let go and I get my way. Right. Um, there's a lot of dangerous things actually happening in this case. Now, just, just so I don't get any angry emails or a million suggestions, <laughs> to be fair, I want you to know that I did stick my nose in this situation as well. He is now on a no-pull harness. He's nice. doing fantastic. They showed up at my door because they didn't know how to put the harness on, and we handled that together. Um, and he's a sweet, lovely boy, and I see him every day doing a lot better on the walk, and I see her controlling him better. So now I've been positively reinforced to stick my nose where it doesn't belong. Right. But I guess at the end of the day, this big long rant is also like, so what about when safety is involved? Like, what are we doing when you're doing something that is just not safe? These choke collars can hurt these yeah. dogs and they're being used incorrectly. Um, I mean, obviously you can't call animal control. There's no CPS, but like in the clinic, they're there for our expertise. And yet sometimes they just will not hear differently. Yeah. And, and again, I love your example of, you know, every viable solution or alternative you give them, they go, nope, that won't work. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the last uh, 30 years of dealing with pet obesity, Becky, because that's exactly <laughs> how every conversation goes. Yeah, we tried that. Nope, we did that. Nope, <laughs> nothing works. <Yeah. laughs> okay. So, so I totally understand your frustration. And the problem, viewfinders, is that if we repeatedly encounter people who reject our opinions, who somehow you know dismiss our concern even, then we stop participating. And like Becky said, she had literally been positively reinforced to quote unquote stick her nose in because she had a positive outcome. And so she's like, well, look, you know, people do want to be helped or whatever. And of course, every for every person like your neighbor that wants to be helped there's a person like my trail running where you know i'm just being yeah. thrown every name in the book uh, and that's okay right so i think that within the confines of the clinic becky absolutely i think that by definition they've walked in so they are granting us some level of permission now i still think you should ask for it i have found that to be the most effective tactic communication wise ever uh, as far as trying to get someone to be receptive to listening but regardless you know within the confines of the clinic you you bet if they come in with a prong collar becky you know, I'm, I've been long against that. I mean, that isn't something that I just don't support. You know, if you come in uh, and, and ask me about, um, 
uh, using a shock collar, you know, again, I'm going to feel very, very, very uh, open to say I strongly oppose that sort of thing. Now, look, I know that there's going to be people out there and you're going to want to send us nasty emails and social media posts and you support those things. And that's fine. But again, you know, when we're coming back to our opinions here, this is really important because regardless of what your opinion is, how far do you go to share it? That's really the, the crux of the question today. So it makes me think and like that I think our best solution is one. So I have seen clinics that have completely banned um, like prong choke and retractable leashes entirely. And you have they have a switch out collar at the door. It's just straight up. Don't, don't come in here with it. You can switch it out for one of these. And I think that's a, a huge benefit. But should clinics start offering education should they have classes lectures content should they offer it as a service learn leash walking i mean we always talk about incorporating behavior and nutrition and all these should these start to be services on our menu of uh, you know should clients be coming to us and learning so we don't have to intervene are we missing an opportunity uh, yes, absolutely. We are missing an opportunity. And absolutely, yes, we should be offering these services. But getting back to this, Becky, all of those involve voluntary participation, like a person goes and reads your blog or watches your video or attends your class. This again is back into that. I'm in the moment and I'm now giving you advice. Uh, you know, So that's yeah. it's still a slightly different engagement. And, you know, viewfinders, I think that that the reason that we wanted to have this conversation today, we we deliberately framed it on some objectionable sort of practices like prong collars, for example, or shock collars. But this does apply, as I kind of alluded to, to nutrition and diet and obesity yeah. and weight loss and behavior like on the plane. I mean, there are so many different areas where should we stick our noses in? Now, again, at, at the outset, I said if there is demonstrable, obvious suffering, pain, you know, harm, then you, you have no choice. I mean, this is just being a good human being. You should step in. But but again, what about those little subtleties where the person, you see them about to reach for a dangerous toy, you know, an inappropriate yeah. something, and do you stick your nose in? Um, so, I, 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 Becky, look, and there's no answer to this, right? I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. I think that where, where you, this whole conversation started, Becky, you said, at what point do we just become so either afraid of or immune to these discussions? And I thought that yeah. was really important to share with the viewfinders because viewfinders, what Becky is really concerned about is that if we fear these, these types of retributions from the public, then at what point does the vet medicine practice just sort of shut down and go, hey, whatever you want to do, you do it. We don't care. We don't question. We don't call into judgment. We're just here. And again, yeah. this isn't about judgment. This is really about trying to advocate for the well-being and health of the pet patient. And hopefully that made a little bit of sense somewhere. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it does sort of summarize. And it's like you said, we don't really have answers, unfortunately, because I, there is no one blanket answer. I think we've leaned heavily into policies. So if you as a clinic really do not allow prong collars, choke collars, retractable leashes, or things that you as your professional community team, family decide are not acceptable items on your patients, make a policy so you can back it up and find ways to work around it. I think it's a great way to start a conversation like, hey, why why is it you don't allow these there are still so many, you know, behavioral 
quote unquote professionals out there that use adversives and they say, Hey, we teach you to use them right in X, Y, and Z. And they have a place. And I, we, we're not even going to get into yeah, that because yeah. I don't have time for those emails. But <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is we, we have to have a policy that we stick by. And then the reason why we back it up. So I think that's one way to handle it within your clinic. I love the idea of, you know, asking to work on that. Thanks for this free therapy. <laughs> and three, I think the other thing is always the empathy point, right? And we talk right, about that right. in interacting with our clients and our teammates all the time. And I think this is a point where we can do that as well. Why ask for the why, understand why they are using this. Why is this important to them? It's going to be based on some level of understanding, either a very low level or high level that they've done research and have belief in, or they just went and the pet store lady said, oh, here you go. This will help you keep your dog from pulling. And then I think you also have to have those effective alternatives. So let's talk about, you know, um, no pull harnesses, you know, um, whatever the gentle leader and positive reinforcement leash walking and why all that needs to be done. And then also have the resources to send them. So I think it's a process within your clinic. And then the more you have it on a professional level, you find that empathy point that says, this is why I care. My dog has this certain behavior. I think you can always find a way back to while why your suggestion will work for them, but it just takes a little bit of uh, investigative work. Right. And it is cultural. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely spot on there, Becky. I mean, within a clinic, you know, these are, your know, policy is one way to describe it. And it's a good start, as Becky said, but really it's the cultural ethos of the clinic. It's like, you know, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? And this is why, like, you know, my clinics, it was a lot about nutrition and behavior because that mm -hmm. was what we stood for. That's what I believed in. I thought those were very important for us to, to be you know, front of and, and, and make sure that we always advocate for those, uh, for our pet patients. So, you know, I think that's an important thing. The other thing is to viewfinders, I, I will tell you from doing this a lot, you can give this type of advice without being a jerk. I will say it's almost as easy, at least in my experience to say, Hey, you know, Hey, I'm a veterinarian. I'd be happy to help you. You know, and you look like, you know, you're ch trying to choose a, a perfect chew toy for your dog. And if you tell me a little bit about you, I'll, I'll be glad to do what I can to help. And most of the time people are so receptive to that. Becky. I've also seen, yes, I want, I'm sorry. Yes. And, uh, I've seen some really neat, um, you know, obviously like the may I, can I show you a better right. way? Not even talking about the equipment. So to start, right. Like let's talk about how we can do this without the equipment being necessary before we even talk about the equipment and having a demo dog is great. Right. So when people see me out walking Layla, they are, they want to know more about how to make their dog walk like my dog. And so I think when you have an animal that can do it right and you show that it's possible, it makes a big difference to people as well. Again, I think this is why you should have an educational library within your clinic or, you know, make those videos and put those out there, but showing them that it's possible with another dog and then showing them it's possible with their dog, I think can also give them a visual of the finish line. Sometimes folks, like you said, it's cultural and they just don't, they've never, they can't visualize another way. Yeah, that's a really good point. And there's nothing more important, I think, than having some representation. And this is why, like, when we have all, all of our diversity talks, you know, that's why we focus on representation. Because if Becky is out walking her dog, representing how a dog on a leash should or could even walk around the neighborhood, then that is inspirational and shows others that it can be done. So I think that's a really, really important point. And then, and finally today, you know, as we as we wrap this up, viewfinders, I think that 
the biggest thing that Becky and I want to make sure that we impress upon you is the fact that these topics are important. I mean, we cannot continue to ignore them. I mean, I have watched in my 30 years of practice, really vets go from being the ultimate, almost exclusive trusted authoritarian on pet nutrition and food to being really a kind of middle of the pack. And that's that's frustrating to me because I think a lot of it, vets just got tired when a client came in and said, oh, I don't want to feed that food. Oh, you only, you get kickbacks on that food or whatever. You know, they come up with a thousand different excuses. And, and you know, as the old cliche goes, if you tell somebody no enough, they stop asking. And that's really what we don't want you to do. We want you to do this in a positive, polite, non-threatening fashion. But, you know, don't be afraid to stick your nose in when you see something that you think should be better. Agreed. I think so. And, and hopefully you, you know, do it in a way that they can hear. And if it doesn't, it's like, if at first you don't succeed, keep trying, but work on your delivery because it is our job to advocate. And I I say it in all my lectures, uh, I say it as much as I can, whenever we educate, we advocate. So I I still think it's important. We just want to do it the right way. I'm glad we had this conversation today because truthfully, I was mulling over what I did to that man in the frozen food section because, you know, I I felt really rude. But, man, I did not want to see him buy that bone and take it home to his dog. Right. And that's it came from a good place, uh, the right intention. So I completely support that. And again, hand grenades blow up behind you. You're fine. You're you're gone. (laughs) Viewfinders, have you thrown a hand grenade behind you as you walk out of a pet store before? And if so, did you hear the explosion like I did when I was running? Or did you just keep walking and ignore it all? We'd really like to hear you your stories of maybe when you stuck your nose in a little too far and maybe also of course those wonderful success stories when what you said made a difference that's right we want to hear all about this honestly actually (laughs) you can find us at veterinary viewfinder on facebook and instagram and dr ernie over on twitter at vet viewfinder uh i i poke my nose in every now and then and you guys it means a lot some of you guys have gone and done it and we appreciate it leave us a few words and some stars and most importantly that subscribe button it really helps get our content out to the rest of our colleagues that's right so we hope you'll have some meaningful conversations with strangers this week and guys be safe be kind to each other and always try to do the right thing by the pet patients that we love and serve until next week bye bye <laughs> <laughs> My iPhone is ringing. It never rings. I don't know.